Salvation through Christ. Praise the Lord. Well, our theme this year, of course, is I will get me into the great men. All men are just men. But uh, Dr. Evans used to say greatness, uh, as far as Christianity, is, me- is uh, measured in decades and not in years. And uh, I want to be around men who are finishing the way they started. That's what I want. I want to surround myself with men who just stay the same and continue on for Christ. And Brother Mutzler is one of those men, and I'm delighted that he's here. Mrs. Mutzler, thank you for your faithfulness, and I want his influence upon our church family, and that's why he's here. Brother Mutzler, come speak to our heart, please, sir. Thank you. Very much. God bless you. Well, certainly a joy to be with you tonight. I trust you've been having a wonderful week. My wife and I enjoyed flying here uh, last night and enjoyed the day. Uh, You had sunshine. Uh, we're from Oregon. We got rain during this time of year, but uh, it was certainly enjoyable to see. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I was telling your pastor today, and uh, uh, I think I mentioned that this today, that I was born in North Carolina. I was born in Fort Bragg in Fayetteville. My father was in 82nd Airborne when I was... Uh, born and then from there uh, served for 22 years and finished up in 101st Airborne in Clark in uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So I was an army kid growing up, traveling all over the place. My father always lived off base, so I, I, I just thought it was a regular job most of my life. I didn't even know the ranks. Uh, but he was an E8 when he retired. Uh, spent three and a half years in Mannheim, Germany as a young boy, and El Paso, Texas, Fort Bliss, and Fort Campbell, and uh, traveling around in the military. But uh, a wonderful state you have here, and certainly a joy to visit it once again. I've had the opportunity to preach several different places in North Carolina. Uh, I uh, went to Bible College in Nashville, Tennessee many years ago. And uh, from there, I pastored in Mississippi and was there for 18 months. And we had more cows than people uh, where we lived. It was on the end of a dead-end road. And I just wanted to see more people saved. We had uh, 18 saved in 18 months and 12 baptized, but I was just frustrated. I I just wanted to see more and more people saved. And... uh, took an old country church. It was 100 years old. I was the first full-time pastor they ever had. They built us a beautiful home, and everything was nice there. We had wonderful young people, out of which several were called to preach, and uh, just amazing for what God did in such a short time. Um, we grew from 80 to 120, but I, I just wanted to see more, uh, not many prospects throughout the area. And then from there, I was asked by a man if I would consider starting a church in Conway, Arkansas, of all places. And I said, no way. I don't know how to start a church. I'm fresh out of Bible college. I started pastoring when I was 21 years of age. No one came to me for counsel. I don't know why. But uh, I was 23 at the time, and he said, would you start a church? And I said, no. He said, would you pray about it? I said, no, I know how God works. I'm not praying about that. He said, would would you preach for us someday? He said, we got 15 people want to start a church. I said, well, I'll preach for you because I'd already resigned my church in Mississippi. 
and we were living with our folks in Nashville for a few weeks until we found out what the Lord opened up. And so we went and drove from Nashville to Conway, preached there Sunday morning, Sunday night, had three people saved. They worked hard, had 22 people show up in a house that was 100 years old. And uh, that's a story all by itself. But anyway, um, and God blessed. They had a get-together that Sunday night and fellowship, you know, as Baptist churches do, had a little food. We get in our car to drive home. He comes over and gives me a check and says, here, for preaching. I said, well, thank you very much. And he said, well, we're voting this Wednesday. I said, well, what are you voting about? Well, you being our pastor. I said, oh, no, no, no. He said, well, we're voting anyway. And so um, I'm driving home. I say to Miss Vicki, I said, honey, how do you feel? She said, I know what God wants. I said, I got the sick feeling in the pit of my stomach that God wants us to start a church, and I don't have a clue how to do that. And so we were there for five and a half years and bought land, built a building, God blessed, had a lot of people saved, and uh, God used it in a great way. But uh, we were in a town of 12,000 at the time. Conway was a small town back then. Now it's big, but... I'd personally knocked on every door six times in that little city and uh, wanted more prospects and wanted to be a place I could live for the rest of my life and serve the Lord in one place. Uh, Dr. Jack Hiles used to always say, it takes 20 years to build a church. And uh, I thought, where do I want to spend the rest of my life? And God started speaking to my heart and I resigned the church there. Uh, I loved everything about the Bible Belt, except there were too many churches. Everyone I tried to lead to Christ would say they belonged to a church. I mean, in our town, the town drunk belonged to a church. Everybody <laughs> seemed to have a church. I wanted to go somewhere where there weren't so many church people. And one day I heard that Oregon was the state with the highest percentage of unchurched people. Oh, when I heard that, it was like heaven, you know, wonderful. Prospects. And so, and by the way, they're still pretty high on the list of unchurched, but I think we knocked them down a peg or two, uh, starting Grandview Baptist Church. God has done some marvelous things in these last 39 years. This September will be our 40th year as a church, and it's just been amazing. And through our soul winning and all the efforts, it's, it's hard to believe, but tens and tens of thousands over well over almost, well, I won't even tell you, there's no way you'd believe it unless you saw there, but let me just say tens of thousands of people have trusted Christ as their Savior. Uh, we've had like 212 of our kids go off to Bible college, and so many wonderful things happen. And I've been following this church because I've known your pastor and met him at conference, and I am not surprised at all that the blessings of God are upon this church. You know, God blesses a man who builds a ministry. And if he'll just stay humble, God will just keep using him. And it's just amazing what God will do. And I'm so thrilled about your future, about what you've done, and what's brought you here. And let me just say to all of you, the best is yet to come. And it's going to be exciting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we have the Apostle Paul writing this church at Corinth. And it's an interesting thing. God uses chapter 8 and chapter 9 to speak about finances. And more particularly, 
the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul to teach us about giving, about giving. In fact, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, I call these passages the grace of giving because God is teaching them how to be givers. And it's interesting, in chapter 8, he uses the most remarkable example. Now, Corinth is the rich city. They're the port city. They're the city that's in the midst of commerce and, and is a very wealthy city. But he uses a church that's very poor. He uses the people of Macedonia. And Macedonia are not commerce people. They're agricultural people. They're much poorer Christians, poorer believers. And he talks about their sacrifice and their giving and how God touched their hearts. And he uses that as an example to these rich Christians. And if you read the context of chapter 8 and chapter 9, you're going to find that the Apostle Paul has already been there on his second missionary journey, and he's challenged them about giving. You see, all of the apostles decided to go out and raise funds for the Christians in Judea because there was a famine in the land of Judea, and the Christians there around Jerusalem and Judea were suffering uh, because the income had dropped and the money was tight and uh, the produce had stopped because of finances. So he challenges believers to help these in Jerusalem from whence they receive the gospel. In fact, in, in Corinthians, he's going to make that argument. If, if, if uh, they gave you spiritual things, is it not right that you give to them carnal things? You, you help them out because they did the most important thing in getting the gospel to you by sending people like me, Paul says, around the world. And so that has been used for 2,000 years now for churches. I've used it many times in our churches. We've had many different building funds and building projects, and, and we're starting another one this year, our biggest one yet. And it, it seems like a church that will share the gospel will always be growing and be blessed of the Lord. But it's always encumbered upon the people of that church to rise up in faith and notice I didn't say rise up in money, because money doesn't mean much in God's economy, but faith means everything. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It doesn't matter how much money you have if you don't have faith to trust Him with the funds He's blessed you with. And so every time a church goes through a missions conference or fundraising program, it's always a test of faith, never of money, but faith. And you see, because God needs more faith, he keeps stretching us, stretching our faith, putting us in impossible situations so we have to grow in faith. And what's faith? Faith is depending on God. And sometimes he has to put our back up against the wall so we just depend on him more. Amen. And you'll learn as a Christian to appreciate those times in your life where your back's been against the wall because it taught you you can trust God. You can trust him. And as a church, you find over and over you can trust him. 
Well, he uses this passage of Scripture. I want to get right into it. I'll not tarry long tonight. But in verse 9, it says, And you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is acceptable according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burden, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he, hath, he that hath gathered, gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. And let's bow our heads quickly for a word of prayer. Father, how I pray the Holy Spirit of God would be our special guest. Lord, you promised where two or three are assembled together, there would you be in the midst. And here we are, and we know that your presence is with us. And we know the Holy Spirit indwells us as believers, but Lord, we would ask more than that the Holy Spirit would indwell us, but that he would control us, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts. And Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would share with this group of people, these dear people, come out on a Wednesday night, Lord, they work hard, they're tired, but here they are in their place because they love you. And Holy Spirit, would you speak to every heart? And that which you used the great apostle Paul to speak through so many years ago, let it speak to us and through us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we see this passage about giving, and especially as it relates to missions, because he's collecting money that has nothing to do with them. It's not for building their church, it's not for their ministries, it's for people that they'll never see. And that's what most of our missions money goes for. We, we're fortunate if we even know the missionary very well, but the people we don't know. And, and we can't speak their language in many cases, and uh, they won't know us, and we'll never see each other this side of heaven. But we're giving so somebody can get the gospel to them. You see, as a believer, we care about our church and we care about our city, but we care about cities on the other side of this planet too. We want everyone to hear about Jesus. Amen. We want everyone to know how great a Savior we have and how they too can have forgiveness of sin and a home in heaven. And so the Apostle Paul is addressing this. The Bible calls us stewards in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, as stewards, it simply means that everything that God has gifted us doesn't belong to us. It still belongs to Him. Amen. We just take His assets and use it wisely for His reasons, for His causes. And he doesn't mind that it blesses us as well, as long as we'll do what he wants done with it as well. And God will bless us in so many ways if we just follow his plan and his pattern. 
He's very good. He will not withhold things from his children. He is the author of every good, and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God wants to bless his people, but but not so we'll have a five-car garage. Not so we'll have a collection of cars out front of our house, but that we can have a part in his eternal plan to see the gospel get around the world, to see lives changed and homes changed. And children grow up with a bright future and a heavenly home. As we look at poverty around this world, I've been to places where it is so sad, it makes the poorest in America look rich. And it dawns on me that billions and billions of dollars couldn't change it. There's just too many people. But though I cannot change the here and now of every person, I can change their eternal future. And let me tell you, poor people on this planet are going to be in heaven, and guess who's going to be the happiest of all? <laughs> they're going to be walking on streets of gold instead of mud and clay. All right. And they're going to be the ones jumping up and down like, wow, this is, you know, us will say, yeah, this is nice. Yeah, it's, boy, that, that, that is impressive. <laughs> and they're going to be the ones going crazy. But they get there because we share the gospel. We sacrifice so they get to hear. And what a blessing it is. We are stewards of God. In this passage, we see three things I want to share quickly with you. First of all, the mind of missions. And that is in verse uh, number 12. And the Bible talks having a willing mind. In verse 11, it will say a readiness to will. In verse 12, it will talk about a willing mind. And may I say, that's where it all starts. You see, giving is not about what you have in your billfold or your purse or your checking account or any assets you have, any material wealth. It doesn't start with that. It starts with a heart, with a mind. Are we willing? If we had it, if God would enrich us, if God would put it in our hands, would we be willing to give? I've always heard people as a pastor, you know, I, I pastored as I started Oregon, of course, they, they had uh, all sorts of things there. And um, some of the members would say, Pastor, if I win the lottery, I'm going to give to the building fund. And I said, just give what you spend on the lottery to the billing fund, and it will be a lot bigger. And they, they, but they had these things that if I ever get rich, I, I'm going to build a church, and, and, and I'm going to pay for all of that. Well, the question is not what you're going to do when you get rich. What are you going to do now? What's your heart now? Do you have a willing mind? Are you willing to be used of God to meet a need? And are we willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ? Are we willing to step up in faith? Are we willing to launch out into the deep? Are we willing to step out of the boat? Are we willing to trust God? Do we believe he's a miracle-working God like he says? Can we trust him? I've lived long enough to know you can trust him. And I've seen it over and over again. And no doubt in this auditorium, there's many uh, Christians uh, up in maturity like myself 
who know that you can trust the Lord because he's seen you through time after time after time and met the needs in miraculous ways. The mind of missions. In Exodus chapter 35, verse 5, Moses says, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. And so we have this principle of a willing heart. You'll see in the Old Testament as they were building the tabernacle, and then you'll see it in the Old Testament when they were building the temple, they would say, whosoever is of a willing heart, let him give. Now, God wants a willing heart. The Bible tells us that God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, let me tell you, as a Baptist pastor, I love any giver, but... But God says he loveth a cheerful giver. So you can tithe, you can give what you're supposed to do, but if you don't have a willing heart, it doesn't impress God. May I remind you the asphalt in heaven is pure gold. Whatever we give, the largest gift any Christian has ever given doesn't impress God. But the heart of a giver does. The heart of a little boy with his five pennies giving it into the Sunday school offering, that impresses God. Uh, The person who gives of their small means but gives sacrificially to the cause of Christ, that impresses God. May I remind us all that the two largest gifts ever given in Scripture were given by widow women. Two widow women. In the, in the Old Testament, it was a woman who gave a handful of meal and a little bit of oil in a cruise. And she gave it all. And in the New Testament, it was a widow who had two mites in her hand and very sheepishly comes up to the treasury and drops it in. And Jesus says, did you just see that? Did you just see that great gift? And the disciples are thinking, you mean that Pharisee or that scribe or that this or that? And No, no, this, this widow woman. Because when she dropped that in, it was all she had. Do you know sacrifices always impress God? And it doesn't matter who it is. And most of those who sacrifice for the cause of Christ, may I remind you that we will not know their names this side of heaven. But in heaven, they're somebodies. They are somebodies because they sacrifice. They live very meagerly for the cause of Christ. And that takes notice in the heart of God. Not us giving out of our wealth, but us giving out of our need for the cause of Christ. The mind of missions. Do we have a willing heart? We find, secondly, not only do we have the mind of missions, but also we need to see that we have a a method of missions that's mentioned here in verse 14. It says, by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance may also be a supply for your want, that there may be an equality. You see, God wants us to give according as he has blessed us. It will also say in verse 12, it is acceptable according that a man hath and not according to he hath not. We cannot give what we do not have. 
And Christians, we're very good at saying, well, if I had it, I, well, if I, if I had a million dollars given to me, I'd tell you what I'll do. Well, as someone said, it's not the million dollars you don't have. What's the $10 in your billfold? What are you doing with that for the cause of Christ? So it's what we have. And we have to understand that. The means of missions is always based on what we have, not what we don't have. When God challenges every single believer to give, don't you realize he already knows what he's entrusted you with? He already knows what your bills are. He already knows what your income is. He already knows what your needs are. The Bible tells us your father knoweth what your needs are before you ask him. He's already tabulated. And let me tell you, if God speaks to your heart about giving, he's already considered your needs. He already knows your financial situation. He already knows where you are before he ever tugs on your heart. And sometimes as Christians, we say, well, why doesn't he give us a lot, of pe- a lot of money in the bank before he starts tugging on our heart? <laughs> because he wants to know, do we trust him? Amen. Do we trust him? He's the one tugging. His Holy Spirit is the one tugging at our heart. Do we trust him? I always taught our people, how do you know it's faith? Well, I, I'd always say this, if it's not scary, it's not faith. When you look at it, you say, I don't think we can do this. That's when it takes faith. There's many times I've been to a missions conference in our own church, and I'd already thought about what we could afford to give, and I, it was generous, and I put this amount, and then sometimes right at the moment I'm writing it down, God says, double it. And I'm thinking, who are you speaking to? Who is this? God has a way of challenges us because he wants us to trust him more and more and more. And by the way, that's why senior saints look at God as their best friend because they've trusted him more and more and more through life. And if you'll just do that, you'll be surprised how real God will be in your life and how you can trust him for everything. Because you answer when he tugs at your heart. You ought to pray before you give anything because it's not yours to give. You ought to consult the owner. Lord, what would you have me do? It's all yours anyway. What do you want? And then we answer his call. He will let you know. God's not bashful about things like that. You know, pastors are, we, we would never say, you ought to do this, but the Holy Spirit doesn't mind telling you exactly what you ought to do. He's not bashful because, by the way, you are his temple. You have been bought with a price, so you, he owns you anyway, so he's not shy about that. He'll just let us all know if we'll ask him, if we'll look to him. So we see the mind of missions is to be willing. We see the means of missions is giving out of what we have. Uh, Peter Marshall says, give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. That could not always be wise. You see, we have to learn to give. I've seen 
people give sacrificially the cause of Christ. I've seen missionaries live sacrificially on the foreign field and what a blessing it is. Let me tell you, there's people willing to go to places you would never vacation in. <laughs> you would never want to go in. Years ago, we took 17 of our people uh, to see several places in the Philippines and uh, we were stopping this particular time at uh, Pastor uh, Brother Rick Martin's for uh, probably about a week. And we went to different outreaches. We went to the leper colony. We went to the police station. We went to all the different places, sharing the gospel, seeing people come to faith in Christ. And they asked uh, some of our guys that they'd like to go on one of the bus routes. And they said, yes. And I was talking to one of our men as they came back and I said, well, how was the bus route? And he, he just looked at me. And I said, well, Larry, how, how was it? And he just busted out crying and he couldn't stop. He said, Pastor, I didn't know people live like this. We've gone to places, they're living on split bag, uh, bamboo and there's hogs living underneath where they live. And their, their houses are on poles and when the tide comes in, all this pollution comes in, this septic tank, it just stinks to high heaven and that's how they're living. Let me tell you, your eyes affect your heart and you get to some places that will change your life forever. But isn't it going to be wonderful that the Martins are there sharing the gospel and multiplied hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, have come to faith in Christ because of their efforts. I'm just saying, God will do a great work. And if we'll give, God will touch lives and save souls. That method of missions is finally all of us. That's what the word equality in verse 14, twice it's mentioned, equality, equality. It simply means that it, it takes all of us doing our part. It's not enough that we have one or two or three or four, uh, or in a Baptist church, half a rich person. Uh, I'm just saying it, it's not enough to have rich people. It's everyone. We're all his blood-bought children. We've all been redeemed we all deserved hell, and now we're going to heaven through faith in Christ. Amen. He wants every one of us to have a part. Every little child should have a part. Every teenager should have a part. If you get an allowance, you have an odd job, you ought to be a missions giver. You ought to be a tither. You ought to be a part of God's eternal program to reach a world for Jesus Christ. We all have to be a part. And what I found as a church, if I'll do my part and, and the staff will do their part and members will do their part, it's amazing. It will always work. I don't care what the need is. It will always work if we just all do our part. God uses that. And it's just an amazing thing to see. Amen. I was reading a story about George W. Truett, and he was the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, for uh, 40 years. After him, W.A. Criswell was the pastor for 50 years. 
in a very famous church, very influential church, and at the time, very rich church as well. And people would have George W. Truett go out and speak at different churches. And uh, one church asked him to come because they were trying to raise money to build an auditorium. And uh, he said, yes, I'll be glad to go. And so while he was there, he found out the need was $6,500. And he spoke on two or three occasions, and they were raising the funds. And after three days, they, they got up to about $3,000 out of the $6,500 that they needed. And, and Brother Truett was getting a little frustrated. He was doing everything he knew to speak to hearts and let the Lord use him. But there was just like a wall, and, and they just weren't giving with a free heart. And finally, he said, do you expect me to give the other three, 3,500, he said, to reach your goal? I'm just a guest here today, he said. And when he said that, a lady got up in the back of the auditorium and stood up. And she said, Charlie, her husband was on the stage and he was the one that was adding the figures and the donations together. And with a shaking voice, he said, Charlie, I wonder if you would be willing for us to give up our little home. Remember Saturday, someone came by and said they'd give us 3500 for it. And Charlie, Jesus gave everything to save us. Couldn't we give up our home? And Charlie was on the stage and he says, Jenny, I was thinking the same thing. And he said, Pastor, we're willing to give up our home. If that's what it takes, we'll sell it and we'll raise the rest of the money. And there was just quiet in the auditorium. And then all of a sudden, people just started weeping. They couldn't believe that somebody would be willing to give up their home. And one by one, people raised their hands and said, I'll, I'll pledge. Another said, I'm increasing my pledge. And just in about five minutes, they raised the other 3,500. All because one little lady was willing to sacrifice. Many years ago, it's been uh, probably 45 years ago now, I heard about a story of Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley, of course, was a pastor of First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, what an amazing man, an amazing ministry. If you ever heard him in his older age, he was just awesome. What a tremendous man. They had a downtown church, and of course, they continue to grow because of his ministry, and they grew out of space. And so finally they said, and this is probably 50 years ago it happened, he said, we need to move out of downtown Atlanta, and we need to buy some property so that we could build and expand. And they did some preliminary studies and found out it would take $8 million. And keep in mind, 50 years ago, that was a whole lot of money. It's a, it's a good bit now, but it was a whole lot then. And uh, so they went through a program of trying to raise money, raise money, raise money. And they, after 18 months, they'd raised about 300000 
way short. And it just looked like that wasn't going to be God's plan. It doesn't look like it's going to be God's will because they'd raise money, they kept promoting it, and just, it just wasn't taking off. And, and one day, just before he stood up to preach, an usher came up to him, and he had something in his hand, and he handed it uh, to the pastor. And Charles Stanley took that, and just before he preached, he said, by the way, before I preach, uh, one of our ushers let me know that when the offering was taken, uh, somehow a ring had slipped off one of the lady's fingers, and uh, this ring was in the offering plate, and if you'll come after the service up to the pulpit, I'll be glad to give it back to you. And when he said that, one of the ladies stood up and said, Pastor, I, I didn't lose it. My husband and I don't have any money to give, but I talked it over and he's allowed me to do that. And, and that's, our, that's my wedding band and my engagement ring, and I'm giving that to the building fund. And again, it was just quiet. It's like, what? And they ended the service with that same spirit. The next Sunday, there were two dozen engagement rings <laughs> in the offering plate. The next Sunday, the third Sunday, there were car keys. There were house keys. There were deeds for property. The fourth Sunday, they put 55-gallon drums down by the altar. The pastor was an avid photographer, and he had just bought a $4,500 camera. And this is one 50 years ago, $4,500, a German-made camera. And he put that in there. Everyone else put stuff. By the sixth Sunday, he stood up and said, we're going to stop the giving now. We've already raised 30 million. 30 million. All because of one lady. I told that story when we were trying to build our first piece of property and trying to purchase the first 12 acres we, we purchased to build our first building on. We had six ladies give their ring. We had people give sacrificially so that we could have a place to start a church. I'm just telling you, everything great in God's economy starts with sacrifice of an individual Christian. It always does. Here's one simple thing I taught our people, and I'll be through. I always taught them this. Our sacrifice is the foundation upon which other lives are built. It's never us. We already had our spot in the church. We're not building a bigger building for us. It's not for us. It's for the new people that we want God to do for them what God did for us. And if we'll sacrifice, God will be glorified and his work will go forward. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I wonder how many believers here tonight would say, Pastor, I'm willing. 
I don't know what you're willing to do, but if you're willing to listen to Holy Spirit, He'll let you know what you ought to do. But that's all I'm asking tonight. Are you willing? I wonder how many Christians here would say by the uplifted hand, Pastor, I'm willing. Whatever the Lord wants me to do, would you raise your hand right now? And say, I'm willing. I don't know what it is God's going to tell me to do, but I, I am willing. God bless you. You can put your hand down. And that's where it all starts. God will let us know as long as we're willing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your...